Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Isaiah 14, I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. First of all, the really, really good news. This is a two-part message, which means that we can go home at some point today, because I can do the rest another time. So don't worry about the time or how long it's all going to be. I j- maybe I'll just open it up today and uh, bring it to a conclusion in a couple of weeks' time. The title of my message this morning is, War is Over. I want to take a few minutes over these next couple of Sundays, the other one, in fact, will be a week or two from now, to really talk about something which we try not to talk about too much in this church because I don't think it should have any emphasis. But I want to talk about the devil. We try not to say too much about the devil in this church except to tell people he's defeated. And I think that in my experience, I am a pastor of 20 years and lecturer now, and also I travel from church to church and talk to a lot of Christians. One of the recurring themes, if you like a complaint that I have within me, is that the devil gets far too much airtime in churches than he should have. And... uh, But not only in churches, but also in the thinking, in the mind of Christians. We have a very big God and a very small devil. Now that's what the truth is. That's what the truth is. However, in the minds of many Christians... We have a very big devil and a very small God in the minds of many Christians. And I'm sure the devil really likes that. (laughs) I'm sure he really likes that. Have you ever met people in life who have grandiose ideas? They talk everything up. Oh yes, I've got 15 companies. I remember I had a friend And I used to go on dates with him. Now, I need to clear this up, what I mean by that. (laughs) He would take me on his dates with him when he met with girls. It's no wonder, is it, that he wasn't terribly successful if he took me along with him. But I remember going to this lady's house, and uh, this is my friend Big Steve. And uh, we are going to the house. And it's sort of a blind date, not exactly, but he doesn't know this lady terribly well. But another friend has really recommended Steve to this woman. So we're going to the house and Steve was a taxi driver. And over dinner, we're just there chatting away. The woman's probably thinking of me, what's he doing here? But anyway, that's another story because I thought that too. But over dinner, she says, oh, Stephen, she says. I thought, never, I've never heard him called Stephen before. Stephen, she says, I hear that you run a fleet of taxis. 
And uh, I didn't know what to do. And like looked into my soup and what? He, run, he doesn't run a fleet of taxis. He drives a taxi. Um, what is the generic term for a whole load of taxis? Is it a fleet anyway? Someone will tell me afterwards. Is it a fleet? And Steve says, no, 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 I just drive a taxi. <laughs> but I think that the devil has done a bit of this. He's very, very small and defeated. But in the minds of preachers and Christians and books and all the stuff, he's become very, very big. And so one of the things I want to do, starting from today and finishing maybe another time, is to start to reduce and actually show him in proper perspective. Satan was defeated 2,000 years ago. The war is over. And during our chats, there'll be some resistance here. There'll be some, yes, but I had a friend who... There'll be all sorts of anecdotes. But I'm not going to talk about anecdotes. I'm just going to talk about what the Bible says about this. Not what your friend Dingaling says about this. Or what happened to you in 1980. I'm talking about what did Jesus Christ and the apostles say, and indeed other um, biblical writers, say about this. So are you ready to come with me on a journey? Because I'm going to give you 12 reasons why you don't have to be afraid of the devil ever again. 12 reasons. And I'm only doing it 12 because I'm against the clock. I could probably think of many more. Are you in Isaiah 14? Are you? Okay. Let's begin in verse 12. These verses traditionally ascribe to the devil, and we'll just take that as read for now. Some dispute it, but I think they do. Verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven. Say fallen. It's not a great start, is it? It's not a great start for him. (laughs) Not a great start for this character. How you have fallen from heaven. O morning star. The King James said Lucifer. That's where we get that word from. How you have fallen from heaven. O morning star. Son of the dawn. Let's see if the next line makes it a bit better. Nope. You have been cast down to the earth. Not getting any better at all. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, and it's very interesting this, because there's a whole load of I will. Lots of things that he will do and think. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. 14. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Verse 15. But you are brought down to the grave. 
to the depths of the pit. First reason why we shouldn't give Satan a big place in our mind, in our church, in our life, in our thinking, in our theology. First reason is this, because he's only the devil. I need to tell you, I'm more frightened of my mechanic than I am frightened of the devil. I'm more frightened of my dentist than the devil. Why? Because the dentist can hurt me and the devil cannot. I'm more frightened of my mechanic than the devil. Why? Because the mechanic can tell me how bad my brakes are when maybe they're not. I'm more frightened of the M11 than I'm frightened of the devil. Why? Because on the M11, I could have an accident. But with the devil, I cannot. He is only the devil. And this is what comes out in this next verse of this chapter that we're reading. Verse 16 says, Those who see you stare at you. They ponder your fate. These are people who finally, it's almost like this is the end of time when we finally get to go and have a look at the devil. The person that all the preachers were talking about sold all these tape series, sold all these paperback books, DVDs and videos and songs and how he needs to be overcome and we're going to fight him and we're going to do this. And at the end of time, Verse 16, those who see you stare at you, they ponder your fate, and this is what they say. Not, wow, look how big you are. Not, wow, we were right to fight you day and night. This is what they say. Is this the man who shook the earth and made the kingdoms tremble? It's almost like they're amazed. Is that it? All those songs, all those spiritual warfare conferences, all that, we're going to get you, we're jumping on your head. All that, and we were fighting that little thing there. And I believe at the very, very end of time, there's going to be a whole load of believers utterly shocked, utterly shocked at the smallness, the powerlessness, the defeatedness of an enemy that they thought they had to fight when in fact Jesus defeated him 2,000 years before they were ever born. Is this it? I don't believe it. I paid a hundred quid to go to that spiritual warfare conference. I've got all the books on how to overcome and, 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 and that was it all along. This ant was what I was facing all along. So the first reason why I'm not afraid of the devil and neither should you be is because he is only the devil. He's only the devil. He has been defeated. One of the greatest things that anyone ever said to me, a great wise spiritual leader, he said to me, he said, it's not just Jesus who's more powerful than the devil. Christians are more powerful than the devil. Because they are in Christ. It's not just, well, if God shows up, I'll be okay. God already showed up. He lives inside me. I've got the victor living in me. You've got the victor living in you. So number one, why shouldn't we be afraid? Because he's only the devil. 
That's why. And when all these people say this at the end of time, is, is this the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms tremble? I'm afraid I'm going to be the one standing there going, I told you all the time. I'm not going to be surprised. Number two, because he has been utterly, utterly defeated. So it's not just that he's just the devil, but he's been completely and utterly defeated. First John 3 verse 8, the reason the Son of God was revealed or made manifest was so that he could destroy the works of the evil one or the devil's work. We need to just come to some terms with this. Do we believe Jesus won or not? Did he win or not? And I think sometimes the way that it's told is it's almost as if Jesus really gave him a really good punch. And he's currently a bit dazed. And if only we, the church, could give him another punch, we'd knock him down. Let me tell you this, he's been knocked down. That's why we're more than a conqueror. Because Jesus punched him and we've got the victory for it. That's what makes you more than a conqueror. Jesus is the conqueror, but I'm more than a conqueror because I claim the victory as well. The reason the Son of God was made manifest, was revealed, appeared, the new NIV, was to destroy the devil's work. There's an amazing verse that I want you to see here in Colossians 2 and verse 15 that really helps to explain this and is the key to the understanding of all this, all this topic really. Paul writes this rather strange piece of text. He says, speaking of Jesus and the powers of darkness, that's who these powers and authorities are. In the old King James, the principalities and powers. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he, Jesus that is, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I want to take a moment to really explain this rather strange piece of the Bible. Because when this was first read or written, everyone who read this, heard this, knew what this meant. Because they lived in that day. We're 2,000 years later. I wonder where you were when you knew that Saddam Hussein had been toppled. I wonder where you were when you heard that Osama bin Laden had been killed. I wonder where you were. And most likely, you were sitting somewhere watching the telly. That's how you heard. Or you saw it on a computer or something. You heard about it. You heard that the war was over. Because you saw it transmitted on Sky News, BBC News, the Twitterverse, wherever it may have been. But you'll appreciate that 2,000 years ago, people didn't have to poke or like anything. 2,000 years ago, they didn't have to be your friend. They didn't have to post pictures of their, of their latest baby. They didn't have to invite you to their event. There was no Twitter, there was no Facebook, there was no Sky News, there's no BBC News. There's not even Radio 4. So let me ask you this. How would a nation 
know that it had won a war. How do they know? Well, there was a very uh, obvious and planned strategic way that people knew that their team, their, their nation, had won a conflict. And this is what they would do. The winners, having won the conflict, would have a parade. And we get the, a little bit of this today when the Olympians, you know, go on the bus around London showing their medals and things like this. Thousands of years ago in the, in the you know, Greco-Roman world, they had a similar thing. They would have a parade through the capital area. And the generals who had won the war would be placed on a chariot and horses and all the stuff you can imagine from like the movie Gladiator or whatever would traverse around and, and it would be very, very public that they had won the war. But it wasn't just the victors that appeared on the bus. They also got hold of the generals that were still alive of the opposing enemy force. And don't be upset with me, but they tied them up. They removed a good amount of their clothing, if not all. They stripped them, made them naked, and they tied them in chains. And they went on the parade as well. And so in the front would be the, the general... And there's a whole load more to this. There's a little guy sitting in the chariot that no one could see as well, who used to shout out often in Latin, you are only mortal, you are only mortal, because in case the guy, guy thought he was a god. But so there was a whole procedure with this. There was a whole department that arranged this. And the winning general would be paraded, waving, all the people would come out and cheer. But to show that it wasn't just propaganda, wasn't just a story, at the back would be these naked, defeated, enemy generals being dragged through the street with no clothes on to be jeered at by the victors. And what they would do is they would go under a giant arch, a triumph, an archway. And they would go under the arch. They would go underneath. The, the, the general would go underneath. And all the enemy foes tied up would go underneath this big archway in Rome. As a sign, they have been triumphed over. That's where that phrase comes from. I have triumphed over them. Meaning, I have, they have gone under the arch. They have been triumphed over. Let's come back to this. Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. And he has made a public spectacle of them. Do you understand what that means now? It's a picture. The demons were not stripped of their clothes and dragged through the streets of Rome. But in the spirit, says Paul. In the spirit. They have been defeated. They have been made a public spectacle of 
And they have been triumphed. They've gone under the archway of the cross of Christ. Can you say amen? And all the people came out for the parade. Now, here's where I'm going with this. It's my conviction, my complaint if you like. That large members of the Pentecostal, Charismatic and other church have missed the parade. They've missed the parade. They still think that the war is going on. They still think that unless they speak in tongues and cover themselves in Jesus' blood and confess the Bible, they dare not go out of the house because the devil's going to crash their car, give them, you know, leukemia, kill their children. And all of this is just a whole load of nonsense. Because the enemy will not be defeated in the future. He's been defeated already. But Christians are living as though he has not been defeated. Merely stunned. But I want to tell you today. Jesus has utterly defeated our spiritual foes. Unfortunately, he hasn't defeated our mechanics, our dentists. He hasn't defeated the A14. He hasn't defeated temporary traffic lights. He hasn't defeated tax returns. We've got enough problems going on. But one problem you haven't got is a devil that's more powerful than you. That's not a problem that you have got. Your problem is the washing up. That's your problem. But your problem are not principalities and powers. Your problems are much more closer to home than that. And sometimes, now forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. But sometimes you'll hear spiritual warfare type prayers releasing God. As though God is somehow locked in a prison, unable to move for devils. Lord, we bind the forces and we release you. I just hear this. God's not in prison, I promise. Come on, come on, Lord, we bind the powers of darkness and we loose the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's never been in chains. It's like God trapped in heaven, sending texts to church leaders. Can you pray and get me out? Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power and love. Our God is an awesome God. Nothing stops him. Nothing stops him. I believe we've missed a parade. I think we've missed a parade. We think the war is still going on. Now, you say, yeah, but doesn't the devil tempt? Yeah, we will. We're going to come to this. Well, doesn't the devil lie and accuse us? Yep, yep, he does all that. We'll get to that in a minute. But let's just get the foundation right. We are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. If Jesus didn't defeat the devil, don't you think you're probably not going to be a new? But he did. He did. Number three, he's been utterly defeated. Number three, 
We read it. He's been cast down to the earth. Revelation 12, verse 9. The great dragon. It's a symbol of the devil. Was hurled down, cast down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth. And his angels with him. I don't want to comment on the um, chronology of when this occurred. But the spirit of it is, is, is clear. The enemy has been defeated. Jesus says, I saw, past tense, or literally in the Greek, I was watching Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That doesn't sound like a scary foe to me. So why shouldn't we be afraid? Number one, because he's only the devil. Number two, because he's been completely defeated. Number three, because he's been kicked out of heaven and cast down to the earth. These are not positive things. Number four, because we are no longer his captives. Now, you'll be his captive if you believe you are. Can I say that again? Listen, you will be his captive if you believe you are. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So if you think you're a captive of the devil, that's exactly what you're going to be. But if you believe the Bible, not some Christian paperback, not some brother dingling on on, on the Christian television. If you believe the Bible, the Bible says you are a slave of righteousness. Not sin. Certainly not of the devil. You are a slave of, you, you are a slave. You are in chains. But you are chained to that which is good, not with that which is evil. Turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's have a look at this quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, we are no longer his captives. As for you, Ephesians 2 verse 1, you were dead. It's in the past. Not you are dead, but you were dead in your sins, your transgressions, in which you used to live, past tense. When you followed, past tense, the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The prince of the power of the air. Paul says it. You used to be his prisoners. You used to be. There was a spirit now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh, our sinful nature. And following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest we were by nature Objects of wrath, but because <coughs> of his great love for us, excuse me, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. There's no doubt about it, that we were once prisoners. There's no doubt about it, that the devil leads the whole world astray. We just read that. There's no doubt about it, that once, once, we were part of the, of the system. The spirit, the prince of the power of the air, who is at work in those who are disobedient. But guess what? You are not of those who are disobedient. 
You are those who are obedient. Oh, oh, well, Brother Peter, sometimes I'm not so good. Yeah, I know that. Sometimes I'm not so good. We're not talking about the times that we fail when we succumb to temptation. But what we're saying, we have turned our back on the world. We're following the Lord. The spirit, the prince of the power of the air is no longer resident inside my body, inside my mind, inside my soul. I'm a slave of God and a slave of Jesus, a slave of righteousness. First John 2, lovely this. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. They might not have felt like they had. That's why he writes to them to tell them. You might think, yeah, but there's a lot of sin going on in my life. Hear the word of the Lord. You, young man, young woman, you have overcome the wicked one through Christ. He goes on to say, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. The word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So, reason number four, why we don't have to be afraid of the devil. Why we should live in this Knowledge of the war having been won for us. Because we are no longer his captives. That's what the Bible says. I I don't know what preachers say, but that's what the Bible says. I don't know what you were taught for 20 years, but I'm just talking about what the Bible says. We are no longer the captives of the evil one. We are the slaves of Jesus Christ by faith. Let me just do one more before I finish. Number five, he's under our feet. He's under our feet. Luke 10, great verse this. Verse 18, is it? 19, I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Now listen, this is Jesus Christ speaking. If you've got a problem with this, you've got a problem with him. Nothing. Everyone say nothing. Nothing. Nothing, Say it. Nothing. Nothing shall by any means hurt you or harm you. Nothing shall harm you. Nothing shall harm you. Jesus said, you're going to walk upon the devils. Nothing will harm you. Nothing shall by any means Harm you. Nothing shall harm you. Oh, what a wonderful promise from God. It's not a promise from God. It's a fact. It's not a promise that I have to pray through. It's not a promise that I have to believe. It's not a a promise that I have to confess and bring into reality. It's a fact. Some of you are sitting here today and people listening on the internet too thinking, he shouldn't be talking like that. Oh, he's going to be in trouble this afternoon. Well, whose report do you believe? I believe the report of the Lord. Nothing, nothing shall by any means hurt me. Nothing. He can't get me. He used to be able to get me, but he can't now. Because I am purchased with the blood of Jesus. Because I have the Holy Spirit of God. Because I am in God's family. Oh no, brother. Oh, you, you know, you want to be careful what you say. I don't care what you believe. I'm telling you what Jesus said. 
Come on. Oh, no, I'm going to go home and pray for you. Don't pray for me this afternoon. Why not? Because you are showing that you are frightened of the devil. You are showing that you have missed a parade. You've missed a parade. You didn't go and see those generals nude dragged through the city. You missed a parade. What were you doing? What were you doing? Watching Jeremy Kyle. Come out. Go see the parade. He's under our feet. I have a big problem with spiritual warfare meetings where they talk to the devil up here. We rebuke you. First of all, I don't think the devil shows up at prayer meetings. Look, lukewarm Christians don't come to prayer meetings. So you're not telling me demons come. I don't think so. It's funny that. I don't think the devil shows up at prayer meetings. And if he does, what sort of meeting is this? What's going on in this meeting? The demons say, oh, are you going over to the prayer night? Oh, I, I, yeah. Are you going over to praise temple tonight? Yeah, yeah, go. let's go. But even if you believe that Satan can hear you from a prayer meeting, why talk to him up here? He's not up here. He's down there. If you want to talk to the devil, why don't you put a message for him on the bottom of your shoes? It's the only place where he's able to read anything coming from us. And people jump up and down and say, he's under our feet. He's under our feet. But that's not how they live. They live like he's living in the sky, throwing down bombs on them all the time. No, sir. No, sir. I want to show you something. Hang on. Turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. This isn't going to come up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you something. Ephesians 1. 19. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, this is what I want you to see. He seated him. Who? Jesus. He seated him, Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all principality and power, all rule and authority. He's seated him above. Jesus is seated above. Above. All powers and authorities. And if I am seated with Christ, Christ is wonderful. He's a whole lot taller than me, yes? If you see what I mean. I don't mean physically. It's a picture. He's a whole lot taller than me and you, yes? But he's asked me to sit with him. And if the devils and powers of darkness are underneath his feet, then if I'm sat with him, they must also be underneath my feet. Can you say amen? That's where we're sat. Far above all power and all dominion. Jesus has sat us there. He's the pilot. I'm not responsible for the aeroplane. He is. And here I am, high above the land. Not because I'm a pilot, but because I've been allowed to sit where the pilot is sitting at the same place. So you might feel like a very successful Christian. 
You might feel really on fire for God today. Or you might feel a bit small. You might feel a bit insignificant. You might feel like the pleasures of sin have been entangling you. You might feel like you're not really on fire for God. You haven't got your prayer life sorted out. You're not really reading your Bible. You may feel all those things. But let me tell you this. In terms of your relationship with God, in terms of your relationship over the powers of darkness, we are seated with him and our feet are at the same place as his. All that matters is not how holy I am right now or not. It's not how spiritual I am right now or not. What matters is that I am sat next to the one who is seated above them. Who has conquered. Who is more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. He is under our feet. And that's where he deserves to stay. Number six. So we got halfway through. Very simple. If resisted, he will flee. Isn't that what the Bible says? James 4 verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. I've been very careful here to make sure the whole verse is on the screen. Not half the verse. You can't resist the devil and not submit to God. You have to do both things. It's no good resisting the devil. That's not going to work. You have to submit yourself to God. And if you submit yourself to God and resist the devil, he will flee from you. Just take a moment to think about what fleeing looks like. What what does fleeing look like? Does it look like, I'll be back. A friend of mine was uh, pastoring a church and uh, he had this funny feeling in the night. He would go down to the church in the middle of the night. So he drove to the church in the middle of the night. As he pulled in, burglars were in the building. And as he opened the back door, they fled from the place. As he walked in, four o'clock in the morning, there was the safe half dragged across the floor. I tell you what those burglars didn't do. They didn't think, we'll just give it five minutes and we'll be straight back. They fled out of the place in fear. In fear. All you have to do is to submit yourself to God and resist. I did not say assist. Well, I've got a huge drink problem. I think I'll just go down the pub. Or I've got a big pornography problem. I think I'll just log in. Or I've got a problem with a... I'm starting to fancy a girl at work. I think I'll go talk to her a bit more. That's called assisting the devil. We don't assist the devil. We resist the devil. Can you say amen? Yes. We resist the devil. If we do, he will flee from us. That's what the Bible says. I I don't know what your experience is, but that's what the Bible says. I don't know what preachers have said or what teachers have said. No, you need to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, maybe you do. Maybe you look a lot better at the end of it. But it's not going to make much difference to the devil. If you just submit to God and resist him, he'll flee from you. He'll flee from you. I finished with this story. We'll, we're going to pick it up another time, okay? We're not done yet. So don't come to me after and say, yeah, but what about... 
If you do, I'll just look at you in the eyes and go, come out of him. Don't you do that. I've never seen a demon. I've seen a lot of Christians that reminded me of a demon. I wanted to go up to the Christian and go, come out of this demon. Yeah, you know, you get it in the end. Hallelujah. We've got to get free. What do I, I just want you to come out and see the parade. Come and see the parade. See the victory of the Lord. See the fact that it's already done. And that if you will resist him, he will flee from you. He'll flee from you. I wonder, just as we finish here, how many are just in this terrible bondage? Sometimes I hear this. Sometimes I hear this. I hear of people become Christians. They put their hand up in a meeting. They're brought to the front and prayed for. Now, now, don't get unhappy with me if you've ever done this. Do you promise? Some of you don't. You bring them to the front. You've just become a Christian. That's just wonderful. Praise God. Now, you sit with them on the front row. Let me just tell you this. The devil is going to come after you. This week. Really? Yes. What are we doing? What are we doing? If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has gone. The new has come. The thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. The devil's going to come after you. I tell you what, forget that. Forget that. Just sit down and say, now you've been a sinner all your life. Now you're born again. Now, this week, go after the devil. Never mind the devil coming after you. Go after him. Cause him as much trouble as you can. Go preach to everyone at work. Go repent of your sin. Go and get on fire for God. Go get the baptism of the Holy Ghost going on inside of you. I think we need to, I think we need to see the parade. See what's happened. We have overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by loving not our lives, even to the death. Okay, there's another half of this to come. Let's stand. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, Go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.